We're starting a new uh, series this uh, week leading up to Easter Sunday. We're calling it Apologetics 101. And this week, we're focusing on what we're going to call our approach, how we approach people in uh, sharing Christ with them. Um, the, word, the word apologetics uh, is not a word that means I'm, I'm sorry, although we, we usually think of an apology as an I'm, I'm sorry, but an apology is actually a defense. The Greek word is actually a word that means a defense, apologia, which uh, shows up in that passage in 1 Peter where Peter says to always be ready to make a defense, apologia, for the hope that is in you. Always be ready. And so, um, so apologetics is a, a branch of Christianity that is concerned with reasonably defending the truth of God's Word to a skeptical or disbelieving world, to make reasonable claims for the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark Dever's definition, if you want just a simple definition, it's in your bulletin. Apologetics is answering questions and objections people may have about God or about the Bible or about the message of the gospel. I like this quote by Brett Kunkel, and he talks about this idea of our approach. Listen how he addresses it. He says, ultimately, apologetics points people to our hope, Jesus himself. And that is why, quote, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Objections raised against Jesus must be demolished. But notice something. The Bible doesn't say we demolish people. Rather, we demolish arguments. Belittling others is not our goal. Merely winning arguments is not enough. Instead, we remove obstacles of doubt to Christianity so people can take a serious look at Christ, the only source of hope for this world. True apologetics is hopeful. Now, we all know that we are living in a day of unprecedented belittling and mocking and arguing and divisiveness, particularly in the social media stratosphere, but we see it pouring into all aspects of our society. There is this desire to prove one's point, no matter what the cost may be to the self-worth or the dignity of the individual that we're trying to communicate with. Christians respect the dignity of all people. We respect one another as made in the image of God. And so all people, regardless of who they are, should be treated as much as we can and as much as they will allow us to treat them with respect and with honor and with dignity. Our goal is not to demolish people, but to demolish those arguments that would keep people from seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk a little bit from these two scriptures we did 
we read earlier about our approach to this whole idea of defending the truth of the gospel, defending the veracity of the scriptures, defending the historical reality of the resurrection, these things. So where does our approach start? Well, number one, our approach starts with praying. It starts with praying. In Colossians 4, 2 through 4, he says, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is prayer that is steadfast. It's prayer that is faithful. We should pray more for those who we want to see come to Christ than argue with those we want to see come to Christ. Our prayers for our loved ones, our prayers for our friends, for those that we're concerned about knowing the gospel and being saved, we are to spend more time praying for them than looking for ways to diminish them or to argue with them or belittle or mock their thoughts or their beliefs. This is prayer that is thankful because we know that God's a God who answers prayer and it's intentional, it's watchful. And look at what he's praying for. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Those are three great things to pray for. Pray for open doors to share Christ with others. Pray for boldness to do that. Paul's in prison because of his boldness, because of his willingness to step out. We know that more and more we live in a day where uh, if you espouse a view that is a Christian worldview, or if you talk about the, our Savior, Jesus Christ, as the Lord of all, you are likely not going to be met with simply dismissiveness, but aggression of anger, of accusations, of intolerance and judgmentalism and all the rest. This is the day we live in. It costs more as we live our lives in Christ to speak our truth that we know from God's Word. And so we need to pray for boldness and pray for clarity, that we're able to speak with clarity and communicate effectively. So that's our first approach. It's that we're praying. Number two, our approach involves walking with wisdom and speaking with grace. Now, some of these are going to overlap a little bit, but, they're, but it's points that need to overlap and be made in a repetitive fashion. But this second one is walking with wisdom and speaking with grace. And later, that later on in verse 5 and 6, he says, walk in wisdom. He says, pray. And then he says, walk in wisdom. Whenever Paul uses the word walk, he's talking about our behavior. He's talking about our lifestyle. He's talking about the way that we live out this faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech, so walk slash talk, right? 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As Paul's writing this, he is talking to people who knows or who remember what it means to be outsiders. In the opening of Paul's letter in the first chapter, in verses 3 through 7, he says, We always thank God since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. This you heard in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What happened to them? They were outsiders, and one day they did what? They heard the gospel. They heard it with clarity. They heard the truth, the Holy Spirit working with the witness of others to bring them to faith in Christ. And so when he writes this later, he says, you know what this is like. Remember what it felt like to be an outsider? Do any of you remember this morning? What it felt like to be an outsider? What it felt like to not have any reference point? To not have a love for God? To not know the Lord Jesus Christ? To be distant from church? To be angry or resentful or apathetic? Remember ever what it felt like to be on the outside? And Paul saying to these folks, remember, remember how you felt. Remember your experience. We're thanking God that you heard the truth, that someone went to the trouble of doing for you what we're asking you to do for others. What did they do for them? They walked a walk in front of them. They walked in the truth in their behavior and their speech. They heard the truth of the gospel and understood the grace of God. So for us, as we consider what it's like for people to be outsiders, we are looking at a need to approach them purposefully. How do we approach them? We, we, we want to make sure our walk, our conduct is reflective of the gospel. We want to make sure that we're operating with wisdom, with understanding, Knowing who we're talking to, understanding the culture that we live in, understanding what the concepts or values or beliefs of the people we're communicating with are. We need to walk with wisdom, he says, toward outsiders. We need to be timely, timely, timely. Timely can mean a couple of things. One, it can mean that there's a time not to speak. There's a time not to do that. There's a time when it will be misunderstood, interpreted as aggressive, received in a wrong way. We're not looking to create obstacles. We're looking to create opportunity. And so we pray, Lord, let my conduct be evidence of my faith in you. Give me wisdom, Lord about the people that I am relating to and speaking to. Let me have wisdom and understanding of these people. And Lord, give me a sense of your timing, of your timing. 
Now, if your time to share the gospel never comes, you're probably not really listening to the Lord on His timing, okay? Because eventually that opportunity will arise. But we want to be aware of the Spirit's leading and His timing, His timing. And then our speech. Our speech is to be gracious. I love what one writer said. He said, how can we forget that what, that what happened when the gospel came to Colossae is that they heard it and understood God's grace in truth. So our speech to outsiders should always be shaped by that grace. It should always be shaped by that grace. Remember how God spoke to you. We're to have speech that is seasoned, that is flavored, speech that's flavored with our own knowledge of God's grace that'll have significant uh, impact. It'll have an effect. It will do good when we are speaking gracefully with wisdom in a timely fashion to those that God has called us to walk alongside. Number three, our approach involves boldness and being fearless. Now in 1 Peter 3 now, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, he says, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's a significant statement. Have no fear of them. How do we not walk in fear of men and women? How do we walk without having fear that paralyzes us, that creates in us the, the concern or the worry that we might be rejected or that we might hurt somebody's feelings or that it could cost us something in our relationship or even in our workplace. How do we live without that fear? By keeping Christ as holy in our hearts. When we live with this attitude that, Lord, it doesn't matter what I face. It doesn't matter what I experience. It doesn't matter how people may react to me. It doesn't matter if I am put in the position where I have to suffer something because of my witness. I have set apart you as holy, as, as my highest priority, my highest good. And when we are living with that attitude that Christ is our highest priority, then we can have that boldness and be fearless. Number four, our approach is to be ready, to be ready, to be prepared, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We must be prepared. Um, I like this, these three simple ideas here, a basic testimony, a basic gospel message, and basic questions. Every believer who wants to interact effectively with the outsiders that we live among and work among, we have to have those three things. You need to have 
a basic testimony. By that, I mean a simple testimony, an elevator speech testimony, something that does not require people to stand there for a long time and listen to you. Something that, does not, that doesn't detail every stupid, dumb, sinful thing you ever did in your life before you met Christ. Something that talks more about the joy you have in Christ and the purpose you have in Christ and the meaning that your life has because of your fellowship with Jesus. You want to have a basic testimony. I was, I, I think that guy that uh, Jesus opened his eyes, he had it straight. I don't know. I was blind. Now I see. That's it, right? And so that's that idea of a basic testimony. Uh, you know what? I, I was living life, and I have to tell you that when I realized that my life, independent of God, and frankly, in rebellion to God, when I discovered the love of God in Christ Jesus changed me. It changed me. I feel clean, and I have purpose, and I have meaning in my life, and I am walking with God in a way I never knew was possible, period, right? Simple, basic testimony, basic gospel message in the event you get to share the gospel with somebody. Now, we're going to share with you another tool. Two Ways to Live is a great tool. It's a great gospel presentation to work with. We'll share another one with you. But every believer, whether it's the Romans Road or Two Ways to Live or the Four Spiritual Laws, not my favorite, but that one will work. Anything along those lines, you need to have one that you're comfortable with, that you know well, and that you can share. And share with, again, not taking hours to do it. Have a basic gospel message. And then basic questions. Answers to basic questions. So when the person says to you, the Bible's full of errors. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That, things like that don't happen. Why is there evil in the world? How do you know there is a God? Basic questions. Should you have nailed down every type of scientific refutation possible? Should you feel like you can go toe-to-toe with the astrophysicist you end up sitting next to on the plane and uh, who, who says, I, I don't, I'm a man of science. I don't believe any of that stuff. That is not your cue to start arguing. No, that's your cue to just give your basic what? Testimony. I was blind. Now I see. Explain that. <laughs> right? This, I, this, my, I, am, I am loved, and I know I am, and God is, I have such a great relationship. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But you know what? He may walk away from that going, wish I had something like that. Right? Wish I had, because inside his heart, he knows the truth about himself. Right? So you, you want to have basic, and that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. You want to have some basic answers to basic questions. You don't need to go down the road of, you know, dotting every I, crossing every T. If you want to, we can give you resources for that. We're going to highlight some um, next week. But, um, but we want to have those basics. Okay. And then number uh, five, our approach. And again, Peter echoes the words of Paul here. We're to make that defense, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. 
We are called to demolish arguments, not people. We are called to tear down high and lofty reasons against the gospel, but we are not called to tear down people. We are not called to be snarky. We're not called to be cocky. We're not called to be sarcastic. We're not called to anonymously just put things out uh, to, to, uh, to say things to people that we'd never say to them in person. If you wouldn't say it to them in person, to their face, don't ever say it. And if you're going to say it to them to their face, be sure it meets that criteria, gentle and respectful. If it's not gentle, if it's not respectful, why is it coming out of our mouth? Right? Why is it coming out of our mouth if it's not gentle or respectful? If you cannot have a good conscience about your communication, if you cannot have a good conscience about your communication, then check your communication. Because we're called to be gentle. We're called to be respectful of others. And then finally, our approach number six is that we're willing to suffer. We're willing to suffer. Down in verse 16 and 17 of that passage in 1 Peter, so that when you are slandered, I love that, when, when, so that when you are slandered. I've had some interesting accusations made against me over the years. I've had a couple that I just went, wow, because <laughs> they were so bad and out of left field. It happens. It happens. And the more you stand for anything, the more people will feel the need to rise above you. You take, a, you take a stand anywhere. I mean, you take a stand anywhere for anything. My car is better than your car. Oh, no, it's not. And I'm going to give you 10 reasons why, and then I'm going to be sarcastic and tell you why your car is such a piece of junk, right? Anything, any arena that we are in. Well, I feel this way about uh, politics. Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, and you should feel this way about politics. And I feel this way about education. Well, that's a dumb thought. What moron had you, right? And, and, and I mean, on and on it goes. If you take a stand for anything, someone's going to argue with you about it or even say something negative about you to someone else, and they will skew your words, and they will assign false motives to you, and they will assign negative attitudes towards you, and they will spread that garbage around, and you cannot stop it. Well, Jeff, we can, we can pray to stop it. I, I, I see no command where we're supposed to pray to stop that. We're supposed to pray for open doors. We're supposed to pray for wisdom. We're supposed to pray for boldness. But I have never, I don't see anywhere where it says, pray that nobody will get mad at you. Pray that nobody will say anything mean to you. That's not in there. Why isn't that in there? Why doesn't God tell us to pray for that? Because, as the Scripture says, it has been given to you not only to, uh, to rejoice with Christ in His resurrection, but also to fellowship with Him in His sufferings. That is your privilege. It has been granted. Check that out. It's been granted to you. Here's a gift to you from God. You get to experience rejection. 
You get to experience anger. You get to experience hatred. You get to experience scoffing and mocking and rudeness. You get to experience that as well, and you should count it as a badge of honor that you do, but only if you don't create it. Again, what do we go back to? Check your attitude. Check. That's when he says, have a good conscience, right? Be gentle. Be respectful. Be sure you have a good conscience. Did I provoke that? Was my behavior in line with Christ's likeness? Were my words kind? Were my words respectful? Check it. Lord, Holy Spirit, did I do anything? Do I need to go ask forgiveness for somebody? Do I need to repent? Lord, show me. Was I wrong in that little you know, confrontation that happened in my office? Was I wrong? Sometimes you might go, yeah, I really had a bad attitude, and I need to go ask forgiveness for my attitude. It stunk. But there will also be times when the Lord will say to you, you're fine. You're fine. Your conscience is clear on this. And what's coming back to you is purely a product of their rebellion, their unrenewed minds, their evil intentions, not you, okay? And that's when you need to step back and say, all right then, I receive this as a gift from you, Lord, to share in your suffering. If we're willing to do that, if we're willing to prepare ourselves and to be ready, if we're willing to do the work in, in, in prayer and in preparation, if we're willing to do the work in loving others and, and understanding them, and if we are ready to share as God gives us opportunity, then I think we should count on having the privilege of seeing people move closer to Christ because of our involvement. And we should also be willing to receive as a gift people who want to push up against us because we've been faithful to the gospel. Amen?